This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. When you're on the front end of something, you can't see all the dots connecting together. However, after it all occurs, when you look back, you can see the beauty in in orchestrating how all those dots came together and how it all made sense. So life is really about, you know, I take from that moving forward, not knowing how things are going to pan out, play out or connect, but knowing and having faith that in the end they will. You are going to be so inspired by Heather Monahan. She is a best-selling author of Confidence Creator, which shot to number one on Amazon's business biographies and business motivation list in the first week it debuted. She's a keynote speaker. She'll actually be talking at an upcoming TED conference in Boca Raton in October. She's an entrepreneur and the founder of Boss in Heels. Having successfully climbed the corporate ladder for nearly 20 years, Heather Monahan is one of the few women to have broken the glass ceiling and claimed her spot on the C-suite. She has interviewed people like Gary Vee and bachelorette Caitlin Bristow, and she's also been interviewed by Cal Fussman. She is incredible and has so much wonderful advice to give about creating confidence in situations that may be difficult. You can find her on social media at Heather Monahan. In this episode, we talk about her career in corporate America, the unexpected tragedy that changed her life, and the four steps someone can take to create confidence after rejection or heartbreak. Hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming on Kindsight 101, Heather Monahan. It is a pleasure to be talking with you today. It's great to be speaking with you too. Thanks for having me. And so I just want to start off by saying that you are such an inspiration to me and to so many women across North America and the world. The work that you've done in terms of rising in a seemingly impossible situation has been pretty amazing. I'd love to just back up and talk a little bit about your background growing up. So I understand that you grew up as one of four kids in an average town in Massachusetts to a single mom who worked multiple jobs. At that time, you've you've said in your book and you've said in multiple interviews that you lacked confidence at that time, but that you learned to be an observer and you learned about the power of hard work. What else did that time teach you? It really just taught me, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and just work your tail off if you don't feel like you have any unique value and you don't feel special in any way. That is one way anyone can differentiate themselves. And that really was the way I differentiated myself for a long time. Mm. And I'm curious to know, because this is a podcast for educators, really based on creating a sense of belonging and and worthiness in students, also within our colleagues and our workplace situations. I'm curious to know what kind of a student you were and what your thoughts were on your experience in education. Like, were there any standout moments for you that kind of formed your character or that made it really challenging to be who you were? I I was, um, I did okay in school. I wasn't exceptional. I had a sister who had a perfect score on the SATs and received a doctorate. And, you know, she was really the exceptional one in school. I did okay. I was always more of an average, um, you know, B level student. Uh, School was never my strong suit, my passion. It was, um, 
I guess more of a social network was what drew me to school was playing sports, um, being parts of teams and, and the social element was really where I thrive versus the academics. I mean, you have accomplished some incredible things. And so I think about it from an educator standpoint that we should never, ever count out those kids who may be not the highest achievers, but have so much to offer and will come into their own in their own time. What's your take on that? I personally believe, and I've reflected on this a lot, I actually have an episode on my podcast, um, Creating Confidence, with Gary V was my guest. And yes. we talked a lot about, you know, the the dynamic with school and, and being labeled he was not a good student and he failed often in school. And so people would tell him, you're not going to make it. You know, I actually believe most of the people that, you know, when I look back on my life, the ones that excelled in school and did really well on tests and academia, they are the people that stay between the lines, really follow the rules and uh, maybe practice a lot at following the rules. The people that don't fit into that box that aren't you know, labeled the smartest ones. Those are the ones that get really creative. And this is where my strong suit came. I wasn't excelling in academia necessarily, but I found ways to work around challenges and problems and connect with people and create opportunities outside of that. So at a very young age, I was learning a skill set that proved to pay off huge in the C-suite in corporate America running companies, you know, an ability to draw talent towards you, to elevate people, to allow people to trust you, to lead with vision and create creativity and innovation and collaboration. In my opinion, the people that really excel in those things are oftentimes the ones that didn't excel in test taking. I, we like a roadmap, right? And so when you have to create your own roadmap, you get to sort of write your own story, which is pretty exciting. And so I would love to talk about your experience in corporate America, because you basically climbed that ladder really high, like as high as it goes, really. And you did that just through your own creativity, as you say, and your leadership and your vision and your determination. So the company that I was a chief revenue officer for, I had been with for 14 years. I came on and initially was the VP of sales and I was responsible for $100 million annually in revenue. Wow. By the time I left that company, myself and my team had more than doubled that revenue and I was responsible for over $200 million in revenue that last year that I was there at the company. I remember hearing you talk about that time is that outwardly you were at the top of your game and everything on paper looked pretty successful, pretty amazing. Can you talk about how how there was sort of this juxtaposition between how you how your life looked on the outside and all of the things that you had acquired and achieved in the accolades versus the sense of fulfillment inside? Sure. So some point, it must have been 2015 or the beginning of 2016, one of my mentors, who is a gentleman, said to me, Heather, you need to pick your head up. You're in this grind every day, just killing yourself, working hard, traveling and producing, but you're doing it for someone else, for another company, for shareholders, not for you. You need to pick your head up and start thinking, how can you invest in you? And, and how can you spend time doing things that you love that are fulfilling to you? Mm. And that conversation really resonated with me as I had, I was making a lot of money, you know, on paper, it looked like, you know, I had the 
world exactly where I wanted it, but I wasn't fulfilled at work and I was frustrated by many things. So at that time, I really leaned into charity work, which started elevating me as a speaker. And that started this whole speaking. I didn't know it would become a speaking business for me at the time, but it started this new avenue for me and brought in an opportunity to do something I love doing that I was really good at. And at that same time, I decided to launch my personal brand, heathermonahan.com. And I did that to share my insights, how I got ahead, how other people could get ahead, because I was always bothered by the fact that some people were born wealthy. And when you were born wealthy, usually your father could teach you the insights about business, set you up for success, give you the money you need. I didn't have that. And I knew a lot of people didn't. So I wanted to pull that curtain back and show people who didn't have the wealthy family, what it takes to get ahead in business and in life. And I launched my personal brand in 2016, a year before I was fired, all about uh, how to get ahead. And when I did that, it was really rewarding. I got you know amazing messages from people and I really started stepping into a purpose-driven life, which I had not been leading before. And so again, that's also one of the reasons why I got fired. However, it ended up being the greatest thing that happened for me. It was, you know, a year leading up to getting fired. I was being harassed and bullied at work because this one woman, the interim CEO at the time, didn't like me shining my light, didn't like me having a personal brand. So it was constant battles back and forth every day and a really taxing and unhappy time for me in my life and my career. I threw my back out. You know, when you don't pay attention to the challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day basis, they will manifest in your body in some way. And I really, I was just beaten down and unhappy. And, and then that's what led to the time a year after I launched my personal brand is when I got fired. And that's actually, it's two years ago this week. Um, it's a two year anniversary. I would love to talk about that pivotal moment because as painful as it must have been, and I know, I mean, I'd love for you to talk about that and, and what that moment was like for you when this woman sat across from you, the one who had essentially, I mean, my understanding is the CEO had fallen ill. And so his daughter took over. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she, she basically had different vision for the company and you, you were not part of that vision, right? How can you talk about that moment? Sure. So I had done, as I said, during my leadership and time there at the company, I had more than double the company's revenues. I had won countless awards. You know, I had on paper done a really great job. Mm. So in the back of my mind, when this transition was occurring with the CEO leaving, I didn't think I knew this woman was threatened by me. That was very clear to me. And and it was clear to everyone, you know, she would not speak to me. She would ignore me. It was very obvious that there was some issues there. However, I also thought to myself, listen, this lady wants to succeed. She's clearly going to want me to be there. I don't know how long I'll be able to stay working with her, but you know, I, I just truly didn't believe she'd fire me. It just happened very, very quickly. As soon as she really was, she had been an interim CEO for a while. And then once she got the go ahead to be the, um, the sole CEO, very shortly after that, I got the call to come into her office and it was a very quick meeting. She simply said, 
I no longer need a chief revenue officer. So there's no position for you here any longer. Oh. And you can, you can sign this memo or this one. And the first memo said Heather Monahan has been fired. And the second memo was a really, you know, beautiful letter about how I had done and achieved so much and what an amazing job I had done. However, I had chosen to leave to pursue other endeavors and the company supported me and, you know, please, you know, rally around Heather and all that she's done. And if I signed that one, I also got a big check. And in that moment, I just decided, you know, and it's important for people to know you can shift power in any conversation or meeting very simply. And that's by remaining calm. And I took a deep breath and I pushed both memos back to her. And I said, I did not write either one of these memos, so I won't be signing either one of them. And if that's all you have to say, I'll be leaving now. And wow. she lost it at that point in time. She had been all smiles when I walked in, but obviously she wanted me to sign the release that would I would have to sign if I wanted that check. And she started telling me, you need to sign this release and you, you can't leave here. And I, you know, I know this much from having worked in corporate America for, you know, two decades is that you never have to sign something on the spot. You can't be bullied into signing something. You're allowed legal representation. And so I knew that I could walk out of there and I was sure they'd find me with all their paperwork and they did, but I never, I never signed it. And, and I decided I'm going to go all in on me. If I had signed that agreement, I would not be able to tell my story. I would be, you know, not able to do the interviews that I do and I wouldn't be able to speak about my experiences. So I just decided, okay, this is the scariest thing I've ever done professionally. I'm just going to take this leap of faith and bet on me that I'm going to figure out a way to make this work. And that's what I did. Amazing. I just, I love hearing that story because quite often I think when we're under the gun like that and there's this this illusion of power to be able to think about the alternate option of, wait a minute, I don't actually have to play this game by your rules. I just think it's such a powerful thing, especially for women to hear, because quite often it's easy to just fall into that understanding that, you know, that there is this power dynamic and we have to, we have to adhere to that. I mean, you sounded so confident in that moment, but how did you feel afterward? Like when you went home, were you still feeling like you had a clear sense of where you were going? No, I, I really held it together very well in that meeting because I, I had so much, you know, disgust for this woman and how poorly she treated me that there was no way, like I said, anyone can, you know, shift power in a meeting. And I knew in order to do that, I had to remain calm. And so I've got a lot of practice doing that, you know, having been in business for a long time. So I was able to do that. The minute I got to my car, I was hysterical crying and I cried. It was a three hour car ride home. I cried the whole way. Aww. And when I got, I got home, I went under a weighted blanket and I was petrified. You know, I'm a single mother and I've built a very nice lifestyle with, with that comes a lot of bills. And it was the first time in my career that I was considering what if I don't work for someone else? What if that safety net isn't there? What if, you know, what if I fail? What if I don't make it? What is responsible? What's not, you know, you're, you begin to be flooded with, you know, fears and concerns and these what ifs. And that's when I decided to create a 30 day plan. I decided to see it as I had fired my villain. You know, she mm -hmm. had fired me. I had fired my villain. And I decided to go to social media and post about what happened. And, and that ended up that vulnerable moment, which many people said to me, you're crazy, take that post down. You look like a loser. You said you got <laughs> fired. 
I decided to see that as an empowering moment for me to be transparent with others and share a hard time I was going through. And it ended up being really smart. I, I received so many opportunities and one of them ended up landing me on the Elvis Duran show in New York City, which is what inevitably led me to writing my book when I was on the show. He said to me, so you're definitely writing a book, Heather. And I said, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And I truly wasn't. But that was the catalyst that said, you know, if this man thinks that I'm definitely writing a book. I probably should be writing a book. So I sat down and I started writing a book. And then that, you know, really um, moved me forward quickly and um, became the epicenter of my business initially. Now I had a product to sell and I had a centerpiece to what I was doing, which led me to my speaking engagements. And then I ended up getting picked up by GDA speakers and Big Speak and Harry Walker Speaker Agency. And then I started getting booked all over the country. And then I created my online courses from there. Then I wrote my second book. You know, so all of a sudden one domino falls and it, it just connects to all the other ones. Even though that day I got fired, I didn't know any of these things were going to happen. I didn't know I was going to sign with podcast one and launch my own show. I didn't know any of those things, but I just kept taking that next step each day and breaking it down to one month increments to know, okay, I know I can get through the next month. I'm going to practice gratitude. I'm going to see what shows up now that I'm surrounding myself with people who support me. And I'm going to take massive action each day in creating different things and see what works and see what doesn't. And, you know, that strategy really paid off here. We, you know, here we are two years later. Amazing. And in your book, you wrote, when we're going through difficult times, keep an eye out for the silver lining. It might not be obvious at first, but there is always a way to learn from a difficult situation. And I just think you really, you really highlighted that so, so well in terms of how you changed your whole mindset. What advice would you give to someone who is going through a similar experience to you? I mean, I have a really good friend in radio right now who just got fired. You know, they can be very fickle. Uh, The, the, broadcasters and and she was doing great but it just wasn't the right fit anymore and she is just gutted over it you know how do we how do we rebuild how do we create this sense of confidence that's more intrinsic and internal as opposed to seeking it you know within our jobs or or otherwise well, first of all, she needs to read my book because yes. that's exactly why I wrote my book is to help people get through those situations and that gives her a roadmap. But, you know, most often people feel that they lost everything when in reality they cannot take your reputation. They cannot take your experiences. They cannot take your reviews and recommendations, your talents, your network. The only thing they can take is your paycheck. And that does seem scary at first. However, it's also an opportunity to reevaluate, okay, do I want to go back and, you know, stay in the same industry? Probably not in my opinion, because if you're in an industry that is in decline, that has negative situations going on, maybe it's time to pick your head up and say, there might be a better fit for me out there in a growing industry. Let's start looking around and talking to people about what that could look like and just be open-minded. Start journaling and writing about what you love doing. Maybe it's that you love painting, but you've been in the radio business for so long, you forgot about that. Start spending time and 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 your time with doing the things that you really love to do that make you feel strong and make you feel good and surround yourself with the people that encourage you to do that. You know, oftentimes we surround ourselves with people who love us, but they're fearful and they put their self-limiting beliefs on us. So when you're sitting around people who are saying, no, just go back and get a paycheck, that's going to start 
you know, running in your mind and those that's going to add to your fears versus sitting with people who say, you know what, this happened to me before. And this is when I took the biggest leap of faith and I went and tried this or that, or, and I failed and I got back up and it led me to here. And if you don't have those people in your life, listen to those podcasts, follow those people on social media, because gaining a mentor these days is as easy as turning your phone on. You don't have to, you know, sit across from a desk with that person. You can be in inspired and learn from people all over the world today thanks to technology. And as they say, you are a combination of the five people you spend time with. And so that includes the people that are talking in your ear in podcasts or the books that you read. And and I, I really love that advice. So essentially, look around outside of your industry. Secondly, journal, which is really about getting intentional about who you are and your values, right? Sure. And then spend the time doing what you love so you can kind of feel energized and remember what it is that makes you passionate. And then finally, that tribe, how important that tribe is. I love that. I I would like to actually talk a little bit about the fact that we are selling every day. You talk about this on your podcast, you talk about it in your book, you talk about it in your blog, and it's part of the reason that I wanted to have you on the show because I think in education there's this reticence to invite the entrepreneurial spirit into the curriculum, which I think is a big mistake in terms of where we're headed in our future. Like I think this is a global world we really need to equip our students with a sense of entrepreneurship, risk-taking, and mostly a sense of how to sell, how to close. Because as you've said before, we are selling every day. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know you talked about it with Cal Fussman a little bit, which was a fascinating interview. I loved it. Can you speak <laughs> to that? Sure. So my entire career uh, in corporate America was built around sales, and that's really been my expertise. However, people always thought Heather's in the sales lane, which is over here on the left-hand side. And, you know, an author, for example, would be on the right-hand side. They're over in a different lane, the intellectual lane. Right. What I've learned in the past two years is that there's millions of great books out there, millions, but there are only a few thousand that really sell well. And the reason is, is because a lot of authors don't know how to sell. So you can be an amazing writer, but it doesn't mean your book's going to do anything unless you know how to sell. So that's the same for if you're in sales and you're selling Mary Kay, you know, makeup products, or if you're a writer and for some reason, I never connected those dots. I just thought, you know, I believe what people said, there's people in the sales lane and then people in another lane. Really, we're all in sales. And, you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're going to sell your husband on getting him to take you out to dinner tonight, or <laughs> he's going to sell you on why you should stay home and cook for the family, right? So everything in any exchange, someone is sold. And just becoming aware of that, you know, enables you to say, wow, there is another way to handle this. And to me, sales is really about solving problems, you know? So it's about how can I solve these people's problems? How can I add value to them? Because when you approach sales, in that regard, you don't have to see it as, oh, I'm pushing a product on someone. Instead, you see it as I'm connecting the dots for whatever issue or challenge they're having, and I'm bridging that gap for them to solve that, that issue or, or, or problem. And when you begin to see yourself as helping people, it becomes much easier. And if you're selling yourself, you should believe in yourself, you know, wholeheartedly and, and believe in your attributes. So to say, hey, honey, you know, I've had a really hard day 
and I'm feeling exhausted, it would mean the world to me if we could all go out to dinner together as a family and really enjoy ourselves. I'm sure that um, you've got some good ideas on which restaurants we could pick. You know, change the conversation instead of saying, I don't want to cook tonight. You know, make it about solving, like creating this vision of like a, a positive evening and a positive event. And, you know, whether you're selling radio time or your book or your speaking engagements, when you approach sales in that regard and you believe in your own worth and value, that conversation becomes very easy to have. And like anything, you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets. So I started when I was a kid, I, I worked at fast food restaurants, I waited tables, I bartended. And all of those jobs are really sales focused, sales oriented, dealing with people and trying to upsell them. So at a very young age, I learned the basic tactics involved with sales. And I also learned that if I'm not getting a lot of no's, I'm never going to get to a yes. So I embrace the no. And I learned that, you know, sales is a conversation. And at the end, if I ask them to sign on the dotted line and they say, no, I can't that just opened up an opportunity for me to say, is that because you're not the only decision maker or is that because you don't want to do this? You don't see the value. Help me to understand where you're at. And then that next, you know, sentence or question or ask takes me to a whole new conversation, which is going to help me get to ultimately where I want to go. Right. And you, I mean, I love that you don't, necessarily stop at the no that's more of an invitation to ask questions and to understand them and I think that's a big a big underlying current within your theme of selling is really about empathy which is a big theme in this podcast as well it's really about taking the other person's perspective and figuring out what problem do they need solved and how can you add value to their life instead of and I think this happens a lot with educators is this humble approach to, oh, I surely don't have anything to add. And it just doesn't serve anybody, right? It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve the people around you. And you have been so bold in terms of your your approach to closing. Like I heard on a podcast, you actually, you sent somebody a cutout of yourself just to remind them that they would be missing out on the opportunities that you would be able to bring into their lives. And how can someone say no to that, right? Like how can someone ignore that and not kind of chuckle and go, okay, let's give this girl a try, right? No, a lot of people have said no to that. I'm actually, I have the cutout right here. It's in my home office. I'm looking at it right now. And yeah, it's it's unique and it's different. And that's what I want to always be, because if you're in that sea of mediocrity, people will, you know, throw your email in the trash, ignore the voicemail, whatever. But when you find a unique, different way to show up, you're going to get their attention. Doesn't mean you're going to get what you want, but you're going to get their attention. And, and that's really getting your foot in that door and becoming memorable is critical in creating success, no matter who you are. And you don't have to send a life-size cutout. There's so many different (laughs) ways that you can do it. You know, you can, with social media, you can investigate people and find out what their interests are and find out that someone went to the same college that you did. And then you can talk to the director of student relations and find out who you might know that knows that person and then tap that person, have them send an intro email. You know, there's, it's all about putting the work in and taking time to say, how, you know, what's important to this person and how can I differentiate myself? You know, I also like to think of 
the, um, I don't remember the example that I used on the podcast, but one example is I wanted to be a guest on Steve Harvey. I had met with the team. They liked me, but they weren't booking me. And so I sent the, um, lead producer, the cutout uh, that I have of myself with a note that just said, I know you couldn't have forgotten me, but I'm <laughs> way more fun when I'm there in the flesh, not in the cardboard. When are we doing this thing? Let's book it. And so that was what got me booked because he has thousands of people sending emails every day saying, we'd like to get on the show. Here's what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's getting these same emails daily and he just begins ignoring them. And so finding a way just to separate yourself from that sea of mediocrity in any way that makes sense for you, that's going to connect and resonate with them. That's really what it's about. And, you know, it doesn't work all the time. There's plenty of times I was told no, but I was, I always received a response and that's really what I was looking for. Absolutely. To be heard and then to have that, that, uh, that response is so key. You know, use what is unique about you. And when you step into that, that's when things are going to start going well for you. Don't try to be a knockoff version of me, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of people will say to me, oh, I'm going to do the life size cutout thing. Okay. You know, go for it. I'll, I'll tell you the company I use. I don't know if it's going to work for you the way it does for me, but until you try, you don't know. You just, I don't want to be you know, a a second tier version of another person. I want to be the number one biggest, boldest version of me. And when I truly step into that, I have become so powerful. When I worked for a woman that hated me, I stopped wearing my hair down. I stopped wearing skirts and dresses. I stopped shining my light because I wanted to shrink up a little bit so that she would stop bothering me. Mm. And during that time, I became a less powerful version of myself. I wasn't as successful at work. I wasn't making the bold moves and decisions that I needed to make. Since leaving that person, I show up to events and rip jeans if I want. And then people come running over to me to say, I wish I had the confidence to dress like you. I wanted to wear an outfit like that, but I didn't know what people would think. Mm. And making that pivot from, I'm more concerned with what I think than what a crowd thinks. I walk into a room hoping I'm gonna like them where I used to show up hoping they would like me. And making that change to say, I really like myself so I can go into any room as me and feel really good and confident. When you're able to step into that, everything around you starts changing. Oh, that's so important. Such such wisdom there. What, before we move on to those rapid fire questions, because I really do want to be respectful of your time, what legacy do you hope that you leave behind? The footprints in the sand as your mentor uh, referred to it as for future generations. The power for anyone to take this process and create confidence in their life would be the most amazing legacy that I could ever leave behind. I didn't have it as a kid. And to know that people that are coming after me have that roadmap and have that uh, directional information is, you know, that's, that's my whole goal. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you think my audience, educators, and administrators need to know? Yeah, education is one of those businesses that hasn't really innovated in the last couple of decades and finding ways, like you said, to bring entrepreneurial spirits into the educational process and finding ways to work with the creative types and the types that aren't those linear, you know, academic students, really reinventing the process to, to serve all different types in education and to innovate the process overall will be really exciting to see. Thank you. So what does kindness mean to you? 
kindness means treating others the way that you want to be treated. Kindness means going into any situation, knowing that we don't know where another person's coming from or the hurt that they're struggling with and treating everyone as if they're, you know, someone's baby. Mm. What is one skill or superpower that a teacher needs to lead with in order to be effective? Listening, you know, to really listen and notice, gosh, there's so many kids out there struggling and they've been beaten up verbally, bullied, and they're shutting down because they don't have anyone to really just listen to them and hear them for who they really are. So I think it's really powerful if you make time to sit, connect with someone and really hear them out. And what quote would you print on one of those quote cups that could be sold in big bookstores around the world? Okay, I have two. One is my own, which is there's one voice and opinion in your life that matters, and that is yours. And, you know, really by leaning into that, you know, follow your thoughts, your instinct, your intuition, because that's where all of your answers lie. And then Steve Jobs also has a quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it slightly, but it's something to the effect of, you know, when you're on the front end of something, you can't see all the dots connecting together. However, after it all occurs, when you look back, you can see the beauty in in orchestrating how all those dots came together and how it all made sense. So life is really about, you know, I take from that moving forward, not knowing how things are going to pan out, play out or connect, but knowing and having faith that in the end they will. Absolutely. I love that one as well. Heather Monahan, where can people find you? I will also be putting this in the bio, but where can people find you online? Sure. So my book, Confidence Creator, is on Amazon. I've got a hardcover, audible version, Kindle and paperback. My show, Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan, is on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, anywhere you find podcasts. And my website is heathermonahan.com. And I'm on all social media at Heather Monahan. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being an inspiration to me personally. I love your show. I love your book and all the work that you do. And to all the women and and men out there who are influenced by your courageousness and your confidence. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.